Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadab Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We are here, uh, Cubs off day on Monday. Now, uh, we're not going to talk that much about the Orioles. I don't think I'm mentioning it here at the top, that the Cubs are just coming off playing one of the best teams, you know, Yankees maybe, but Dodgers are right there among being the best teams baseball. And now they get the reprieve of facing the Orioles, who are on their first eight-game winning streak in 16 years. So good they, they worked that timing well, depending on what your perspective is on this season. So but, well, the, the Orioles are just a <laughs> proof just that the Cubs that. can turn it around quicker. <laughs> what the Cubs can, can learn from Baltimore's rebuild. <laughs> can I tell you? Oh, God. Don't. Don't sign don't any those. free agents. God, oh, I don't know. be those guys. Know. You know there will be people this week that will say that'll be their yeah. angle. And I know you guys won't. You know what drives me crazy about the... So I'm not a, like one of these, I think I've said this before, I've used this expression before. I'm not one of these bang the table, like you just should spend money to spend money, guys. But what the Orioles have done by contrast is like so far in the other direction for four years now, I believe. I I am annoyed that they are winning now with like their $40 million payroll. And like that usually doesn't fire me up that much, but it's pissing me off right now that they're like this. See how well you can do if you just literally have the first overall pick for four years in a row. And like, I mean, God damn, it, it's very annoying to me. Um, <laughs> so back to the Cubs tanking in 2022. Uh, they, they lose four in a row to the Dodgers. It was I don't know if it occurred to you while it was happening, Sahadev, but it was funny to me watching it how, you know, I knew our conversation in the last episode was about, you know, hey, the Cubs have won four of or five of six series, four series in a row. What would have to happen between now and the deadline for for it to even be a conversation like, hey, maybe we shouldn't sell. And we concluded that with, but none of this matters because they're about to play the Dodgers. You know, it's none of this matters. It's funny how thoroughly they lived into that. Like they <laughs> yeah. took that very seriously. I think <laughs> like it's the, you know the Dodgers. So I think I said know. twenty and five was what they had to go over the <laughs> next twenty five. Like, so now it's, to, it's now it's twenty and one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so go twenty and one, and we'll we'll start talking about not selling at the deadline. <laughs> uh so let's. I I think let's first talk about niche stuff from the series that was remarkable or notable. And then I have some big picture thoughts about a series like that. But um, obviously it was a notable series on the pitching side because we had the returns of both Marcus Stroman and Drew Smiley. Stroman looking very good, capable, typical, I would say, through four innings. I mean, he was on pretty clear short pitch count because he had just the one rehab start. But I thought he looked as normal Stroman as we've seen him this year, which is really all you're looking for the rest of the way. And then Drew Smiley, uh, he just, he didn't have command. You know, he couldn't, couldn't locate the sinker down. It was just floating up too much. And then the curveball, which is his best pitch was uh, too frequently too down. It started out non-competitive, so he just wasn't getting many offers on it. Um, so not great, but the fact that he's already back, with still three plus weeks before the trade deadline. I think the Cubs are probably pretty happy about that uh, because it's going to provide plenty of opportunity for them to to see if there's a market out there for him. At the same time, as this was happening, we uh, saw Kyle Hendricks go on the injured list, uh, the shoulder strain similar to what he experienced before. And I thought it was, this is what I 
expected, but it was notable. I think Tommy Hadovy was quoted in the Sun-Times as saying something to the effect it was very similar to the Wade Miley situation, where it's like, well, you know, it's kind of the same thing. We sat him down for two weeks and then it popped back up. So dot, dot, dot. I took that to mean he's going to be sitting down much longer this time, uh, which looking at our calendars probably forecloses any of the serious talk about him being traded, which, you know, it was the mixed bag already. Um, and then lastly, Wade Miley still not on the mound. That's worth watching closely. I mean, I think it's to the point where if he gets even one start pre deadline, that I wouldn't call that a surprise, but that's going to be like maybe as much as the Cubs can hope for. And then you just see if there are desperate teams out there. And I apologize to folks who don't like to see all of this, everything contextualized through the trade deadline, but it's July 11th. The Cubs are not competitive. So that, that is going to be the lens for a lot of this stuff in the near term. So anyway, that was kind of a lot of what I thought about the series in terms of individual player stuff. Do you guys have any other things like that that you wanted to react to comment on yeah did you mention keegan and i missed it did, no okay. i mean I, that was we, yeah. wait a minute wait a minute you just you just sandbagged me big time <laughs> baby because pre-recording we talked about the rotation and, and you seemed very interested in keegan thompson yeah, yeah, so i, I intentionally I, I was like oh sahadev's gonna I thought talk you about were that. gonna mention and, sorry, yeah, sorry. You raise it, you you raise it now that we're recording like yeah. oh god did, did, did well, Brad I mean, even mention I, keegan thompson god did he forget that he's on the cubs i, I oh. definitely looked away and was uh, watching the kids for a brief moment during your dialogue there i apologize uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Keegan Thompson, like that, that's a great outing for him. Just more positivity there. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at the rest of this outings. I mean, Stroman's was great, right? Four innings solid. Uh, it was a rough outing Sunday, lighter head home run troubles, all that. But, but Keegan Thompson was dominant, uh, for what should have been six innings, right? Say, uh, drop that pop fly, uh, in general, the Cubs played some sloppy defense yet again, which I just think like, man, they, I mean, there's some plays that they make and Nico is usually in the middle of it uh, that that you're like, yeah, that, that's that's quality stuff. But the defense is really hurting the team overall. I think that's just an area that's just another for the people that push back on that. They need to that don't waste money on a shortstop. You have the shortstop of the future and Nico like. I don't think you're seeing the big picture there when you push back on that. It's a, you solidify the defense significantly and, and you get a, a big bat in the lineup as well. It, it seems like a very obvious move, but now I'm, uh, I digress. Uh, Keegan Thompson was great. And that's like, I think doing that against a really good lineup. I think the last time he faced did, did he didn't face Boston, right? Uh, he missed the, the Boston lineup. And I think it, he hasn't had like a great lineup since, he blew up against the Yankees. Maybe he has, and maybe I miss. Maybe I'm missing that. But my point is, it's really good to see that against the Dodgers after the blow up against the Yankees to to kind of shut down any talk that oh no, this bounce back is just a lesser lineups. It isn't. Uh, he's not. He's actually not figured things out. Like there's there's something going on here with him, and I think it, it deserves to be recognized. And and you know you really want to see him build off this through the final three months, so the Cubs feel like okay, we have a young rotation piece, uh, at least one. I. <laughs> And, I, and I'll say it again, I think I said it last uh, podcast, but Justin Steele really seems to be coming into his own as well. I know he didn't pitch in this series, but 
Uh, I think those two are just two big positives there. And this weekend, while may have been expected, it's not the type of weekend where I say like, well, the Cubs are just so far off. Look at how they're utterly dominated by the Dodgers. It's, it's more like the Dodgers are clearly a better team and a better organization at this point in time. But, uh, Let's not let's not act like the Cubs can't get to a good place if if they uh, act appropriately in the next uh, next winter. Yeah, right. I thought NBA. you set up an interesting thread uh, on Twitter, kind of playing off these two teams that you know we thought in you know 2015, 2016, 2017 that they would be kind of going back and forth uh, for a while. I mean, you could throw the Mets in there back to 2015 and. The Mets have certainly had some some valleys, but are back on on a peak right now. And, and I thought it was interesting the way you frame things in terms of how there are things we can't always see or know that take years to develop. And I think, to me, I look at this as you know, Cubs were experimenting with other ideas back then too, and it didn't work. And, and I think that there's still the jury is still very much out on like everything the Cubs are doing in every single aspect of baseball operations. Like you look at the major league record, you look at some of these modest improvements, uh, even some of these developments. Like I mean, Ian Happ or Nico Horner, like they were first round picks. They're supposed to be good, so. You know, I think there there can be the overreactions to oh, like the, the Cubs will never catch the Dodgers. They, you know, they're they're cheap. They're behind the curve. All you know, and there's elements of that, but there's no like. I just have a hard time seeing like when we look up at the All Star break of like what the Cubs can cling to, and like, yes, we'll get some more information after the trade deadline. We'll see like who's gone, who they get back. Um, but I kind of, you know, look at Craig Kimbrell in, in a Dodgers uniform, and right now, like that was a huge missed opportunity. I mean, the Cubs for half of season of Roldis Chapman, they gave up a future All Star in, in Glaber Torres. I mean, for a year of Wade Davis, they gave up Jorge Soler, a future World Series MVP who hit what like fifty home runs. And right now, I mean, Cody Hoyer's recovering. For a season and a half of Craig Kimbrell, you have a Cody Hoyer recovering from Tommy John surgery, and you have Nick Madrigal uh, getting pulled out of uh, another rehab assignment in Iowa. So I'd be curious to see what they do with David Robert Robertson in that context, and like if there are moves out there in the next couple of weeks. Some of it could be the the draft stuff that Sahad wrote about, and we'll talk about later, but. You know, I, I think these measuring stick series are important uh, to not get lulled into thinking like the Cubs have figured something out here because the results over and over again have showed they haven't thus far. Yeah, two two responses to all of that that I want to offer up. One is almost an aside, but it's it's sort of that last point you're making. You know, a lot of us look back at the 2020, 2021 trade deadline and note how well the Cubs did in so many of their trades. And that is true. I mean, they really did, especially for rental players, rental position players. You just don't see the kinds of returns that the Cubs got last year. They did very well in that regard. But what I think sometimes we yada yada over is that Kimbrell was probably the most valuable piece they had. He was arguably the most valuable piece 
on the entire market at the deadline last year. And that was the one trade where the Cubs tried to return pieces that would help them in 2022 and 2023. And it was a spectacular failure as far as this year is concerned, at least I'm not closing the book on Hoyer becoming a useful player next year, nor Nick Madrigal getting healthy, turning things around and becoming a useful player. But I don't think we can ignore that fact that especially in relation to trying to be an organization that does every, you know, that stacks good decisions on good decisions. That's something that Jed Hoyer says a lot. And I agree with it. You, you make, you make a ton of very small good decisions and they build on each other to become an organization like the Cardinals or like the Dodgers. And that was circling then to the point I was making last night is that the, I think some fans and even some of the punditry look at a series like this and they say, how ridiculous is it that the Dodgers are so much better than the Cubs? You know, the Cubs are in a major market, historic franchise. They had Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. They had a World Series six years ago. You know, how could they not have done this? It, it would be so easy for them to just be like the Dodgers. And it's like, well, I will agree with you that they should be like the Dodgers, but I think you're missing the point if you ignore the fact that what led to where the Cubs are now are failures from years and years ago. And what led to what the Dodgers are now were from successes from like literally a decade of very good decisions. Investment, yes, but good decisions at an organizational level up and down throughout the organization is what puts you in a position to be this kind of machine that the Dodgers are. The Cubs can't flip a switch into that. They have to have made exceptional decisions three years ago, which we don't know yet. Just like Mooney said, it's all still very much a work in progress, us trying to evaluate from the outside whether all these systems changes that the Cubs made starting in 2019 have actually found purchase. We don't know. We, we will see. Um, but that's the long tail of baseball development. It, it's just the reality when you talk about the ages of the players and when you can acquire them and how this works you're just not going to know, or excuse me, we aren't going to know how well it's going until you see it on the field. And then even if this rebuild, it's a rebuild, even if this rebuild works, you know, we're not going to know if they can successfully avoid the same kind of cycle we saw four, five, six years ago. Uh, we're not going to know that for another five, six, seven years. And so I don't think it's terribly useful to look at a series like Cubs Dodgers right now and say, well, this is what the Cubs should be right now. I agree with you, but that's not the point. The point is they screwed up on a lot of levels five years ago and they're paying the price today and they need to have not screwed up on those same levels three years ago and today to make sure they aren't screwing up and we're not having the same conversation many years down the road. So that that's kind of my, I think, I just think people are mad at the current Cubs when they should be mad at some things that happened many years ago yeah I, I mean it's the same thing about the deadline last year right i mean the deadline trading all those guys was the right move but uh, you know uh, the mistakes were made well before that like you want to be angry that they traded away all these players that you love i get it but at that point in time 
that was that was what needed to be done. There were mistakes made years before that, and they you talk about making good stacking good decisions. They were stacking bad decisions by that point, uh, far too often, and and they were just they were wrong and making a lot of poor moves and not getting with the times when it came to, uh, especially when it came to player development. Uh, you talk about the Dodgers, but uh, the Astros continue to win and frustratingly so in a way that it's like who some of these prospects you're just like some of these guys that come up their pitching is just consistently great they lose Carlos Correa and they replace him with a really good rookie I mean that's that's the type of organization uh the Cubs need to be right like the Dodgers the Astros uh those types of teams are, are consistently bringing up talent uh, they need to be better than the Astros in the sense that they need to be spending more, right? They they need to be spending. If they're not going to spend Yankees and Dodgers money, they need to be spending uh, what 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 was Cubs money back in you know sixteen seventeen. Uh, so, I mean, I I think when you talk about what what's working, what's not working, we we we're seeing signs of progress, right? We're seeing some signs of progress in player development where it's like. Okay, we need to see the results consistently up in the big leagues, 100%. But there are some signs that, hey, something may be working here. The question I have right now is, is what they changed with the amateur scouting working? Uh, that, That I think it's not fair to question it just yet. But you look at the 2020 draft, obviously a messed up draft in the sense that it came in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, a lot of data was lost. A lot of in-person looks were lost. Uh, but those five rounds, I had, I, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, amateur guys over the last week to prepare for the piece that I wrote this mor- for this morning about the draft. And a lot of them were bringing up uh, that 2020 draft for the Cubs. And uh, I'll just put it mildly and say they weren't good comments. Uh, just they- to... For those that don't know it by number, it's it was the five-round draft. Ed Howard in the first round, <clears throat> he, of course, struggled and then was hurt. Uh, second round was Burl Carraway, yep. who has just not been able to throw strikes at all. Uh, Jordan Nwogu, who actually looks pretty good, but he's still at uh, high A. South right. Ben, Luke Little also looks good, but it might be a relief profile. He's at low A. And then Kane Marino has been hurt ever since the draft and has not, I don't believe he's appeared in a professional game. I saw him. I think I saw him in a box score for the Arizona complex league a week or two ago, maybe. Um, But that's about it from him. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you're talking about two relievers in the first five rounds. One who's just has been terrible. Uh, Can't find like, like insane walk rates. Uh, Iwogu, yes, has been as has decent numbers, but you know you'd you'd like better. You you want him to uh, for a college draftee. You'd you'd hope that he's looking better. Ed obviously uh, devastating injury right when he started looking good, but that's five rounds of of what could amount to no major league players, uh, very little to no value, uh, and that's exact. That's it's just a really rough draft, especially considering some of the talent that was passed up. Um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, you you want to stack the names. It's kind of frustrating for Cubs fans. Pete Crow Armstrong, obviously, now with the Cubs. Kate Cavalli, uh, the, the catcher, Soderstrom for the A's. Uh, Jordan Walker, who is going to 
Cubs don't fans may not him. know him. Don't want to talk about but him. But they will know him <laughs> and they will hate him because he's going to destroy the Cubs for a decade. The guy's going to be a star. Like, just an elite player uh, that the Cardinals did a great job to select. Yet again, the Cardinals pick someone that, uh, you know, never have a top 10 pick and continue to stack these great prospects in the draft. Uh so in last year's draft, you know, Wicks Wicks is looking good, better the peripherals look better than the ERA and and second rounder Triantos. Uh I don't hear very many bad things when talking to guys outside the org. Some guys question the power uh and and what he'll be exactly defensively in the future, but they still like it at that at that pick. Uh and other than that, still not not a lot of like late round steals or anything like that, guys that people are high on. So, yeah, I, I think we, we need to see what this draft is going to be. It's the first time Dan Kantrovitz is drafting in the top 10, uh, but it's got to be so much more than that. You got to hit on the number seven pick and, and we really got to see some de- like guys that, you know, the development team can work with and, and diamonds in the rough type stuff, guys that that pop that that someone, you know, you want another Triantos, essentially, right? A, a second rounder that once he hits pro uh, the, pro baseball, people are like, why did this guy fall to the second round? Why did this guy fall to the third round? He's hitting immediately. He's pitching wait, He's pitching 97, whatever it is, right? You want to start seeing these things uh, in, in the next year or so, uh, whenever, once this draft uh, is, is finished, right? You, you want to see... Uh, signs that that they're really hitting on these guys otherwise it's just a repeat of what happened before where you may i mean at least they hit on their first round picks right <laughs> so so you want to at least see that um and and there there are this is an interesting draft in the sense that it sounds like from my talks like there are seven core guys that people are focused on so the cubs should get some, one of those seven uh, the one question is there's always weird stuff that happens in the draft as it approaches, whether it's medical stuff popping up or people start asking for crazy uh, bonuses and that could throw a wrinkle in things. And yet, the other thing that you have to keep in mind is just because the Cubs, the Cubs may view someone as say they project uh, the number seven guy on their on their board to average like uh, three war a season. And they, the next guy behind him is like 2.8 war a season, but he, he wants 2 million less. Uh, you go with, you go with the eight guy on your board, right? Instead of the seven guy on your board, whatever the number may be. Uh, if you can use that 2 million, uh, to get you, you know, five more war over the course of a career or whatever, 10 more war, whatever it is, right? That's how they look at it. They look at it as a draft as a whole, not as an individual. Well, this guy's the best guy on our board. We take him. It's not as simple as that. If it's a big gap, if Drew Jones falls to seven, uh, the Cubs should should do that and spend their entire draft pool on him, right? But but he's not falling to seven. So that that's the type of stuff that that you have to consider when, when looking at how this draft uh Winding falls. it back to some of the frustrations that Brett alluded to I think you know you look at an all-star roster with Kyle Schwarber on there and he's hit 60 home runs since the Cubs non-tendered him and has been doing it on uh you know in the playoffs uh emerging as like a leader and this kind of like hitting guru and someone who had always been a guy I mean Sahadev knows this who would like show up to the field at like one o'clock or like noon for a seven o'clock game. And the Cubs made some 
short-sighted bottom line decisions at the ownership level that continue to haunt them. And, you know, I know they Cubs have had this vaunted pitching infrastructure that goes back to their, you know, really since the Dale Swain days of kind of some of the roots of it. And it has been good over a long period of time and they found useful relievers, but looking at the starting pitching the last two years, I would, if I was a Cubs fan, I have like major questions of like what's going on, like where, where is that kind of, uh, you know, where are the anchors, where's the kind of foundation of like this next great Cubs team. And is it going to be, you know, guys, you know, like Steele and Thompson to their credit, they have turned a corner and are legitimate major league pitchers, but it's taken a really long time and i don't think there's anyone's looking at their ceilings as like you know number one or number two starters and you know the cubs did have opportunities these last two off seasons to spend money and fill holes and think about things differently and you know the proof is kind of in the results here you're looking at probably i don't know 180 losses at least over two seasons. And a lot of that goes back to pitching and decisions that they've made that weren't strictly economic ones. Obviously you Darvish was part of that, but just like they, they've definitely taken their shots the last two off seasons on the free agent market and, and the results or returns so far have been pretty underwhelming. And I think that's an area they're just going to have to, you know, show market improvement in uh, this coming winter. I, I have little to add to that because I think that that's spot on. I, I guess I, the only thing I would add is that it's also true that when you look at the farm system and its improvements, you know, I can, and I'm not an expert in these things, but I can look at where the Cubs are right now and I can imagine several cornerstone positional prospects right now. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to imagine who they are on the pitching side especially for starting pitchers, I can see several uh, future potential Keegan Thompson and Justin Seals, like good, capable mid-rotation guys. But the guys who have sort of the premium stuff all, I don't know, for, for a variety of reasons, kind of look more like a relief profile to me. And, um, you know, Caleb Killian, the reason he got so much attention is because he does check all those boxes of a potential front-end starter. And the, the the taste that we got is, you know, a guy who still had a lot of mechanical things and body things to work out. And I, I think it it is a reminder, too, to the bigger picture conversation we're having about um, all of the decisions at every level of the organization have to be good. Everything has to work together because, like Mooney said, the Cubs clearly figured something out at the big league level in terms of run prevention uh, on the pitching side, like there, there's something that they are uh, adding that can get little extra bits out of, uh, especially relievers. Great. Awesome. Where is that at the minor league level in terms of player development? And I think maybe we're starting to see that the last year or two, um, but it, you need a much larger sample. You need more players. You need more drafts. You need more international signings for this to sort of fully fill out and be like, oh, they did figure something out back in 2019, 2020, 21 of like how to develop these guys, how to target them and develop them. So we'll see. And the draft will be a big part of that, especially, you know, 
this draft is so top heavy on the positional prospects that I will be fascinated to see what the Cubs do on the pitching side deeper in the draft, because then there's a lot of scouting competition going on to, to really land some of the best pitchers. Uh, I see your, your, um, I don't know what the equivalent is for a podcast, but it's like you've hit your button, Sahadev. Like I have a point I want to make. Uh, no, you don't. You shake his head. Well, you lifted. I, I thought I was trying to read you. Like the the mic have went you up quick. And I was Thompson like, oh, he's yet, gonna bro? he's gonna drop some <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I thought he was gonna just drop some awesome pitching knowledge on us. Uh, no, he was just scratching his nose with his microphone. Yeah, that probably was it. <laughs> no, but that's fine. We can. We can leave it there. Um, I think um, this was good. I think this was a very good and appropriate discussion for where things are with the Cubs coming off that series sweep by the Dodgers and in advance of the draft. And and we'll talk to you fine folks again on Thursday. But, um, you know, this month is critically important to the, the near term of this organization because there's a lot that could happen at the deadline that will impact 2023 in significant ways, but then also to the long-term viability of whatever it is that this iteration of the Cubs are trying to build, uh, because obviously the draft is critical to that and, and the deadline. So that will be a frequent subject of our discussion in the podcast this month. So if you hate that shit, unsubscribe. No, I'm just kidding. Don't unsubscribe. We still, we're still great. Uh, thank you folks for listening. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic, including Sahadev has a recent piece on the draft, uh, including those seven, little more on some of those seven names that he mentioned. Um, and I believe also at The Athletic, Keith Law just dropped his newest mock. So you may want to check that out, folks, as well. Thank you kindly. Have a good middle of your week, and we'll be back at you soon. Take care.